Last week we saw in Acts 15 where the apostles discussed the issue of circumcision and they concluded that it was not necessary for salvation because some of the Jews were insisting that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised to be saved. They needed to be like them for them to be acceptable before God. And after a lengthy discussion, the conclusion was that they don't have to because salvation is only found in Jesus Christ for everyone who believes. So in chapter 16, after Paul and Barnabas go separate ways, Paul is with Silas, and he finds another young man called Timothy, whose mother was Jewish, a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek or a Gentile. And the believers in Lystra and Iconium, we are told, spoke well of Timothy. So Paul wanted to take Timothy with him to the mission field. And therefore, we are told he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, it's important for us to to understand because you look at this and you're asking yourself in the previous chapter Paul was one of the people who was against circumcision and then here he takes Timothy whose mother is a Jew but his father is a Greek and he decides to circumcise him because of the Jews now you should know that uh, A person that was married to a Jew, the children were considered to be Jews. So even though his father is Greek, Timothy is considered to be a Jew because of his mother. Without him being considered to be a Jew, he would be unacceptable. He would not be accepted by the community. In fact, the Bible uses the same term when you read, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He would, be, he would not be pure. He would be, he would be considered uh, ceremoniously unclean. So for that child to be considered pure... They have to consider him a Jew, and he is expected to follow all the practices, the Jewish practices, because of the Jewish mother. So Paul knows that if he goes with him and he is not circumcised, the Jews that he's going to minister to will not accept him. It's going to be a hindrance to the gospel. He's not circumcising him to be saved. He's circumcising him so that he can be accepted by the community that he is going to minister to. 
You will see this in the scripture, and we saw it in, 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 in chapter 15, where they were told not to, to eat meat of, of strangled animals and blood, which was a necessary compromise to avoid offending the Jews. This is a necessary compromise to advance the gospel. There are two compromises that as a believer you can make. One, oh, things that you can deny yourself, it is a compromise because it may be right for you to do. One is to protect your testimony because you don't want to confuse people. It may be a right thing to do, but it doesn't benefit you spiritually. And therefore, for the sake of others, you avoid it to protect your testimony. The other compromise you make is a compromise to advance the gospel, where you do something that may not be sinful so that you can connect with the other person for the sake of advancing the gospel. For example, if you went to Saudi Arabia, you, for you to be accepted by that community, you will have to dress like them. You can't go there with your shorts. You can't go there if you're a woman wearing your, what you wear. <laughs> and be accepted. You will have to compromise your dressing. You will have to dress like them, cover your hair, cover uh, your body, so that they can accept you. And you can do that to advance the gospel. This is what Paul means when he says, I became all things to all people so that I may win some. That is the attitude that a Christian needs to have. Now, some of us, we are so rigid in our positions such that our rigidness, instead of drawing people close to us, is driving people away from us. Instead of opening a door for us to advance the gospel, it closes doors for us to advance the gospel. Paul is doing this because his goal is to share the gospel with the Jews that he's going to minister to. And so Paul and his companion, they travel together. They come together, Paul, Timothy, and Silas. And we are told they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. The Holy Spirit stopped them from preaching the word in that place. You know, one of the struggles that we have as Christians is not so much between right and wrong. It's really between what is right and what God wants us to do.
It's not so much between what is right and what is wrong. It's between what we know is right and what God wants us to do at that particular moment. Mostly our response is to want to do what we know is right. Preaching the word of God is right, but the Holy Spirit doesn't want them to do that. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy have to make a response here, and the response they make is to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Did I confuse you? Because some of you, your faces are not <laughs> clear. <laughs> There's a saying that people like saying, what would Jesus do? You've heard that. Now, I will tell you the truth. Most people who say that, they don't do what Jesus would have done. It sounds good, but the truth is you actually don't know what Jesus would have done if he was facing what you are facing. And the issue is not about responding or doing what Jesus would have done. What you need to ask is, what does he want me to do? Don't try to avoid that. Jesus is not telling us, well, when you, you face this situation, I want you to respond the way I would respond. No. He says, when you find yourself uh, in that situation, I want you to respond the way I want you to respond. I want you to listen to my voice. I want you to submit to me. So instead of asking, what would Jesus do? The question should be, what does he want me to do? And sometimes what he wants you to do may not be what you want to do, even though what you want to do may still be the right thing to do. And that's, as, as Christians, that is where our main struggle is. It's between what is right and what God is asking us to do. Giving, for example, is right. You can give any amount that you want. And it's right. It's yours. You are accountable to God. But what does God want you to give? And that's where the struggle is. Having a girlfriend is a good thing, or a boyfriend is a good thing. But what kind of boyfriend or girlfriend does God want you to have? And that is where the struggle is. Not so much. We know what is wrong. It's in submitting to the Lord that we find our struggle. Our brothers here 
Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they pass that area because the Holy Spirit does not want them to preach there. And then that night, Paul gets a vision, a vision of a man of Macedonia standing, begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, Luke says, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The one who stopped them is the one who is sending them to Macedonia. They are showing us here that they are submissive to the voice of God, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So you expect them when they go to Macedonia to find this man. This man of Macedonia who appears in a vision and he says, come here and help us. And the kind of help Paul is taking to them with his company is the gospel. So that tells us that the gospel is the help that is needed in this world. The best help you can provide as a Christian to the person who is not saved is the gospel. It's not food, it's not clothes, it's not any other thing but the gospel. And if you're going to provide food and clothing and meet other needs, it, those needs have to be because you want to give them the gospel. You, they, they just have to be the reasons or the, the opening of the door for you to share the gospel. Your goal as a Christian has to be to share the gospel. And if we can do that faithfully, we will have provided the much needed help in this world. The temptation is to avoid sharing the gospel. We are tempted not to compromise so that we can advance the gospel, but to compromise so that we don't share the gospel. How many of us have failed to share the gospel because they thought by doing so, the other person would be offended? Mostly when it comes to family members. I don't want to offend them. Let me ask you, when you say you don't want to offend them, to whom are you submitting to? And why would you say you don't want to offend them if your goal is to share the gospel? If your goal is to give them the help that they need. Can you imagine going to the doctor and he realizes you have 
a disease and he knows that he can help you. And then he says, ah, I don't want to offend him. I'm not going to help him because I will offend him. The gospel is offensive. But that's not a choice that we make. We should present it in a very loving way. How the other person receives it is not in our control. The gospel in itself is offensive, and that's why we don't need to be offensive. But we shouldn't use that as a reason to not share the gospel. If the other person gets offended, let them be offended by the gospel and not by you. When they, this is a long passage, so I will be skipping some of the, the verses. They arrive in Macedonia, they settle in a town called Philippi, a very popular town. On the Sabbath, there was, because there was no synagogue there, they went to the river to pray. When they went there, they found women, a group of women praying together, God-fearing women, religious women. One of them, we are given the name here. Her name, her name is Lydia. She is a wealthy Gentile woman. In verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And as she listened to the message, the Bible says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And this is why we pray for the unsaved, that the Lord may open their hearts, that the Lord may open their eyes. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So she received the word, the members of her household also received the word, and they were baptized. This is one of the instances that we see, and uh, it's, it's interesting how Luke places this event because he's going to unfold it in the, next, uh, in the next event that takes place. But Lydia believes, we are told. And her and the members of her household were baptized. Now, you can read that and conclude and say, well, Probably the members of the household included children. You can say that, but that is you who is saying it. The Bible has not given us any chance to add there. Why? You can read that and say, the members of the household also may have included people with mental illness. Right? 
But you don't hear people talking about mental illness when it comes to baptism or even salvation in the scripture. We will always want to advance a doctrine. And therefore we want to see what we want to see even though God's word has not brought it up. This is not a passage that should be used to advance a doctrine that doesn't purport to advance. We know that she believed and uh, together with the members of her household, they were baptized and immediately she said to the apostles, if you, in verse, in verse 15, when they were baptized, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. You know, one sign that you are in the faith is hospitality. Hospitality is a sign that you are in the faith. You open your house for others to come in. And some of us here need to learn that. Because by not opening your house, you are sending a wrong message. Some of us need to learn that. We are not hospitable as believers as we should. And I'm saying this as your pastor because I know you. Some of us are yet to learn that when Christ receives you, you also start receiving others. Because you know how it feels to be accepted. When is the last time you invited someone to your house? When is the last time you took a brother and a sister for lunch? When is the last time you opened your house as a believer? What are you trying to protect? What are you avoiding? What are you hiding? As a believer, hospitality is a sign that you are in the faith. And if you are struggling with that, then your problem is not other people. Your problem is submission to the Lord. And you need to consider that, that. You need to check that. Here, Lydia invites them to her house and they go. And actually it becomes a meeting place. Her house becomes a meeting place for the church in Philippi. She becomes one of the members of that church. The church is planted in Lydia's house. And then of course, so Lydia receives the help that she needs. Another help is given to a young girl, a female slave girl who had a spirit. And when she saw Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy, she was pointing fingers at them saying, these are the servants of the Most High. And, and, and Paul was disturbed by that because by her, 
telling people, even though what she was saying was true, she was trying to identify with them. And so Paul rebuked the spirit. It came out of her. She was set free. She received the much-needed help that she needed. And her owners, because her owners were using her to make money, were angry when they saw what had happened. And they falsely accused Paul and his company in verse 19. When our owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these are the accusations. These men are Jews. They are not Gentiles. They are throwing our city into an uproar. They are bringing destruction by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. We don't want them here. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, Paul and his company are submitting to the Lord's voice. It is the voice of God that sends them, sends them to Macedonia to bring the help that is needed. They submit to that, they do the right thing, and then they are falsely accused and they are put in prison. Even though this is not the first time we see this happening, it's always confusing to us sometimes when we are doing the right thing and then we end up suffering for it. And therefore, as a Christian, you are tempted when you know this is, the, this is what God wants me to do, but you also know that there is a possibility of suffering for it, you want to avoid it. Again, it's the same thing with opening your house, with being generous, with giving faithful. Because when you start considering how obeying God will affect your life, the temptation is to avoid it. The temptation is to want to do what you want to do rather than what God wants us to do. So many people today don't share their faith because they are afraid they will be rejected. Like I said earlier, we are afraid that we will offend people. I had an experience a few weeks ago. This lady she was talking to me. Uh, first, she came and started talking to me after the 
the life celebration that we had. She came to me and she was telling me about the Ten Commandments. And uh, she explained to them. And, and she, the way she did was very right. And I commended her. I said, oh, yeah, that's, you've done it better than I could. And then she came to me again. And, and now she's telling me, you know, I, I, I love God. So, and, and in my mind, I'm, I'm assuming she's a believer because she, she seemed to be so excited about God and his word and and then she told me she's a Catholic, which is fine. You can still be saved even if you're a Catholic. Anyone can be saved. But when she came to me the third time, I felt disturbed. And so I asked her, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And she looked at me and she said, yeah. And then she started explaining, I pray uh, uh, the prayer of Mary when I'm in my car. And I'm looking at her like we are talking about different things here. And then I asked her, so are you sure if you died today you would go to heaven? And she said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And in my mind, I'm saying, wow, this is one of the most humble people. This lady understands that we are not worthy to go to heaven. It's only Jesus who makes it possible for us. But then she says, I think I will spend the whole of my life in purgatory. And I was like, what? <laughs> we are not talking about the same thing here. And so I looked at her, and, and you know, she, she's joyous. She's, and I said, did you find that in the Bible? And her face changed. There was a progressive darkening on her face. And it was there that I, I shared with her the gospel. And I could see all the joy was gone. And she didn't really, she couldn't wait to get away from me. You know, there are many of us who will find ourselves climbing the wrong stairs. And for some of us, it will be too late. Climb the stairs, by the time you get there, you realize it's the wrong building. And Jesus has provided a way for us. There is no religion, there is no denomination that will send someone to heaven. There is only one way, and there is only one name, and that name is Jesus Christ. Amen. And therefore, you need to make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not through anyone else. The Bible says there is only one mediator between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ.
There is no mediator between God and man through Mary or any other person. It's only through Jesus Christ. I pray that none of us will find themselves in the wrong building. Paul and Silas are imprisoned for doing what the Lord wants them to do. And while in prison, instead of complaining, instead of feeling disappointed, I don't know if you have felt disappointed by God. In fact, there's a book called Disappointed by God. You should read it. Where you, you do what God has asked you to do, and then the outcome is so discouraging, frustrating. You feel so disappointed. For example, you are submitting, you are doing the right thing, whether it's at work or in your relationship. You are, you are, you are obedient, you are following all the instructions. You are doing everything that you know the Lord wants you to do, and yet... The outcome is still painful. And you sit and ask yourself, God, why? Why do you keep on doing this? Why do you keep on, on allowing this pain? I'm serving you faithfully and my children are straying away. I'm following you. I'm obeying you. And I keep on getting sick. Why are you doing this? As a Christian, those are questions that we find ourselves asking at times. Paul and Silas are in prison, and they have every reason to complain and to ask those questions. They have every reason to turn to God and say, God, what kind of a God are you? Why would you ask us to come and preach the gospel, bring the help, and then you allow these people to beat us and imprison us for obeying you? This is what they should be saying to God. But we are told in verse 25, about that night Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. This is a testimony of their hope, their peace, and the joy that they have in the Lord. They are not allowing their circumstance to define their faith. They are not allowing what they are going through to define how they are going to respond. They continue worshiping God even in prison. And then God responds with an earthquake that shakes the prison and breaks the chains. The jailer is woken up by this earthquake, and when he wakes up, he wants to kill himself. And Paul says, we are all here, don't kill yourself, because he thinks the prisoners have escaped. And when he takes them out, 
he brings them out in verse 29. The jailer asks one of the most important questions in life. By the way, the most important question is life is not, in life is not, will you marry me? And who said one has to kneel down with one knee? The kneeling is actually a, a sign of submission. That's not the most important question. The most important question is what the jailer is asking here. What must I do to be saved? And Paul responds and he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And that is a very good response, but it doesn't give the gospel. And we are told after saying this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So here, Luke is now telling us what happens in the house. He says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Okay, so Paul starts with what he needs to do and then he explains what it means. He speaks the word of God to him and to them, to those who were in his house. They hear the gospel the same way it happened in Cornelius, Cornelius' house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Now Luke is telling us that a change has taken place. The jailer has become sensitive to their suffering. That's another sign that you are in the faith. You become sensitive to the other person's suffering. You become sensitive to your brother's and sister's pain. Those believers who keep claiming that they have thick skin, they have a problem. If you are in the same family, and when one of you is paining, you don't feel it, you have a problem. You have a heart condition that needs surgery. If you are insensitive to what others are going through, check yourself. Check yourself. Preach it, Pastor Valerian. <laughs> this is the same person who jailed them when they were singing and worshiping. He was sleeping. He wasn't even concerned. But now, he's concerned. The Holy Spirit is at work here. And then listen. 
He washed their wounds, then immediately he and his household were baptized. Salvation has taken place, baptism follows. The jailer brought them into his house. You see? They are supposed to be in prison. He brings them where? To his house. These are prisoners. You, you are struggling to bring your fellow believers to the house. The jailer is bringing prisoners to his house. And set a meal before them. He is fellowshipping with them. And he was filled with joy. There is a presence of the Holy Spirit there. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So Luke is telling you, this person is being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He's a new person now. And everything, and we've seen this in the book of Acts where people speaking tongues, people experience joy. We've seen that Luke has used that language to show us how transformation takes place in our lives. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Let me just end this here because of time. The message that I see in this context is that God displays his power when we submit to him. He displays his power when we submit to him. And when you as a Christian seek to be obedient, every person you know, your friends, you, you, are, you, are, you are young, you are, you are, you are, you are, your boyfriends and your girlfriends are going out with girls and boys and they are doing everything and you as a Christian you are saying, I will not do that because it is not right before God. It's not what God wants me to do. And, and they laugh at you and, and, and you are isolated and, and, and no one wants to be your friend. They look at you differently. Or as a Christian at work, people are taking shortcuts, but you decide that I'm going to do what is right because I know what is right. I'm going to be obedient to God. And then your, 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 your co-workers turn against you and you, they may even accuse you and you may even lose your job or you are bypassed. Others are promoted and you are left out. And you feel like asking God, God, not again. Why this? Oh, you really, uh, you want to serve the Lord, but your health doesn't allow you. And you feel like crying out to God, God, please not again. And God says to you, wait a minute. 
I'm about to display my power. See, when we realize that God's power is best displayed when we submit, we will also realize that some of the struggles that we face are designed by God for us to experience his power. It happened to Paul when he had a thorn in his flesh. Some of the struggles, the difficulties that we face are designed by God for us to experience his power. And when you understand that as a believer, you will not wait until your trial is over for you to worship the Lord. You will start worshiping the Lord even when you are going through that pain because you know that my God will display his power when I submit to him. Your desire becomes to submit to the Lord and let God be glorified rather than to focus on what is happening in your life and be confused. Because the enemy wants to destroy and God wants to build. What is it that is holding you back? What is it that is stopping you from submitting to God? What is it that God wants you to submit to him today? Father, I come before you this morning. I thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. I thank you for your people whom you love very much. I thank you for the good plans that you have for each one of us. I want to thank you for the challenges that we face. And I thank you, Lord, that you give us opportunities to experience your power. Help us this day to submit to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.